Spirit of God has not made us to be a timid people, but has brought boldness of conviction and power when He comes. Hey, that's what early in the book of Acts we've seen in our study so far that the Lord said His Spirit would do. That the Spirit would empower and enable His people to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ into the earth. And Jesus, having been resurrected, is now ascended. And in these early chapters of the book of Acts, for the last several weeks, we've been seeing how Jesus' ministry from heaven continues on earth. The ascended Jesus is now ministering through his people in the earth. And this morning, we turn to Acts chapter 3, the first 10 verses, to see another glimpse of how this ministry of Jesus on earth from heaven through his church, what it actually looks like. And it's beautiful this morning. It is a beautiful picture of redemption. My hope is to not get in the way of it, but to simply show it to you. So give your attention to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the hand, by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Well, let's pray together. Lord, you filled those people with wonder and amazement at what you could do for crippled, poor people shut out of the gate called beautiful. Lord, would you fill us with wonder and amazement as we see that we are a spiritually poor and crippled people, shut out of the gates of heaven called beautiful. We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In our reflection this morning when we began worship, and by the way, we where we have a little verse of reflection, and we realize, we know, 
that is a busy time for you. You are getting comfortable in your chair. You're getting children situated. You're finding your bulletin. It's really easy to let the reflection verse go by unnoticed, isn't it? Well, let me revisit it briefly for a moment. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Slightly different version than the one that was put before you. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? We began our service with those words. And you know, those are the very words that are embodied here by Peter and John as they represent Jesus in the earth, and as they're going to the temple at the time of prayer and for the evening sacrifice, they're making their way to worship, and here, like there is every day, is this man in need of mercy. Now Micah the prophet had said that God's people in the earth would show mercy, and they would walk with humility in the earth. They would do justly. And now Peter and John, in a very real way, embody that justice, that mercy, and that humility, just as Jesus did in his earthly ministry. So Peter and John approach the temple gate, and here is a man of need. And it's not a need of the hour. This is a man who has had a need since birth. It says that he's been crippled since birth. Later in chapter 4, verse 22, which we'll look at next week, we're told that this man had been over, he was over 40 years old. Crippled since birth and now over 40 years old. This is a problem 40 years, not in the making, but in the continuing. And just imagine every day of this man's life, this paraplegic, this crippled and poor man, he is dependent upon the mercy of other people. He is dependent on them giving alms for the poor. That is to say charity. That maybe if I go to the temple gate, those kinds of people will show kindness to me and they'll throw their two cents to me. They'll give me out of their abundance and I'll have enough to make it yet another day. That's what the alms for the poor was or were. This is a lifelong crippled beggar outside of the temple gate called Beautiful. Now, why was this temple gate called Beautiful? It's very symbolic that it would be called Beautiful, and it's very symbolic that the paralyzed man is outside of it, that he can't go through the gate. And it may very well be a beautiful gate. But more than that, the reason that they would call the temple gate beautiful, surely, is because of the beautiful words, the beautiful promises of God, the people of God would be reminded of within the temple. That it was a beautiful thing to have access to the worship of the living and holy God it was the most beautiful thing that they knew. But this crippled and poor man was outside the gates. He didn't have access to what was beautiful inside the gates. And some have suggested, and I think rightly so, this man 
symbolizes himself. Everything that's true of sinful humanity, of you and of me. That since birth, we have had a spiritual paralysis, a paralysis of righteousness. And we are outside the gate, without access, dependent upon the alms, the charity of any who would throw us their two cents. And that's a desperate condition to be in. And that is what the story of the scriptures tell us about ourselves. Christians are to show mercy in the earth. Peter and John have gone to the temple gate called Beautiful, and they intend to show mercy to the one who needs it. You know, it's no coincidence that you could rattle off a number of hospitals, charities, crisis centers that have names like mercy or church names, biblical names, because it's the Christian church that has sought to show this kind of mercy, to offer these kinds of alms to the poor, to the crippled, to the needy, to those who are in crisis. And that literally is a fulfillment of Micah chapter 6, to do what is just to show mercy, to walk humbly with the living God, and to be a blessing to the earth. And so the church, according to Scripture, and remember, that's the big idea each week that we're trying to underline, is what does the church look like according to Scripture? And here's another snapshot. The church is to be merciful. The church is to do what is just, what is merciful, and we're to walk humbly as we do it, not bringing attention to ourselves, but always bringing the praise and the honor and the glory where it belongs. And that, of course, being to God himself, because the church, according to scripture, ushers all glory to God. Now, think about that for a moment. All ministries, all churches, all the works of our hands are to bring attention not to ourselves, but to the glory of God. So I read an article this week and actually watched a documentary because of the article on this American phenomenon known as celebrity pastors. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say celebrity pastors? Here's an excerpt from an article on celebrity pastors. This is written by David French in the Dispatch. It says, when, this is recording on a particular church that I'm not going to name, but half of you would know the name of the church. I'm not looking to shame the church, just to expose an issue. When the celebrity pastor did appear on Sundays, he rarely mixed with the churchgoers. On Sundays, a team of congregants worked as volunteers to prevent anyone without the right badge from wandering backstage where the pastor could be found. And only a few people had clearance to enter the green room that was stocked with a lavish catering spread and a change of clothes to fit the celebrity pastor's increasingly particular tastes. Isn't that attractive? Where's my green room? 
Where's, where's my lavish catered goods? That's what the celebrity pastor demands and what he gets. And the article goes on to say that that church seemed to go out of its way to cultivate a hierarchy of coolness. Ushers were instructed to guide visiting political figures, musical artists, and sports celebrities to sit in special seating in the front and would whisk them away backstage to get to meet the pastor. And then it says, the staff felt torn. It doesn't feel like something Jesus would have done. Well, I think, of course, that's the conclusion. All that to say, our culture, particularly our American culture, is so familiar with celebrities in every category of life that somehow in some church settings, they welcome the concept of a narcissistic celebrity pastor who can withdraw from the sheep, have his own world, be propped up, and somehow the sheep feel more significant when they feel that they have a celebrity pastor. That seems to be the dynamic that is happening. And of course, ministries like that fall prey to the ministry being all about that pastor and his personality, right? You've even known, I'm not going to name names, but you've known ministries, seemingly good ministries, that are named after the minister, their name in the title. We used to joke, inside story, way back at Erskine about Paul Patrick Ministries Incorporated. What an absurd thing to name a ministry after yourself and to incorporate it. But it actually happens. It actually happens. And so this form of narcissism, where everything becomes about the personalities of men, the power of men within a church, within a congregation, within a community, within a denomination, within a presbytery, you fill in the blank. It's narcissism. It's unhealthy. Imagine the absurdity in this account in Acts chapter 3. If Peter and John come bebopping to the temple and they see this paralyzed man and they offer the words that they do and then they try to call everybody around themselves and make themselves the hero of the story. Right? It'd be absurd. And yet that's what's happening oftentimes in our celebrity-driven Christian American culture. The church, according to Scripture, draws all attention, all praise to God and not to men. That's what's modeled here by Peter and by John. They do not draw attention to themselves they draw attention to the praise of God. And we know that's true from the response of the paralytic, which is to do what? To rise, to walk, to jump, and to praise God in the courts. He's not praising Peter and John. He's praising the Lord, the creator, the redeemer, the healer of his life. Now, the gospel itself that they offer, that Peter and John offer... It has to be said. It is not an offer of silver and gold. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And so the gospel that we offer, it is not celebrity oriented. It's not for the praise of man or the praise of a particular church. It's always for the praise of God. And it is not a prosperity gospel. It is not the promise of get your life right, get your life straight, and God's going to bless your socks off. Everything you ever wanted, the way that you wanted it, all the attractions and allurement of this life, it'll be yours. And that is happening around us as much as the celebrity pastors are. And things like social media, Facebook and Instagram and everything else, it just doesn't help. Because now we can prop up, celebrity pastors can prop up their own personalities and communicate a prosperity gospel. And we look at the early church according to Scripture, and we have to easily conclude it's never supposed to bring so much attention to an individual, and it's never about silver and gold and the offer of it, but it is a real, lasting redemption that is offered. It's not about felt needs, it's about real needs. And that's the Jesus, the ministry of Jesus through the apostles. That's what he's offered the poor, the lame, and the crippled. It's real redemption. You could listen to it, put it this way. The world throws its two cents at paralysis. It tries to bring immediate comfort. It tries to bring as much comfort and hope as we can. And that is the mercy that we can show. But while the world offers such small silver and gold, Jesus offers legs. We offer two cents, the only two cents that we can to the paralyzed. But Jesus himself offers legs. He offers this man new legs through his apostles, through his church. And spiritually, the same is surely true. Jesus offers real humanity to overcome broken humanity, that our sinfulness can be washed away and we can experience righteousness, his righteousness. And so we live in a world that we know what it is to throw alms to the poor. But do you know what it is to be offered legs when you cannot walk? That's the difference in the kingdom. We're given legs, not alms. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones, I've told you I've read his commentary. I'm reading it as I work through Acts. He summarizes all this succinctly in this way. A good reminder for us to understand the church according to Scripture, to make sure we have our categories right and that they're not being defined by our culture. He says this, The church does not exist to talk politics, to play music, to give philosophical discourses, to produce art, or to provide social amelioration or psychological treatment. Nor does it exist to provide temporary relief from the pains of the world. The business of the church is to address the real problem of men and women, the paralysis of righteousness caused by sinfulness. 
This is the unique message of the church and is our commission as we represent Jesus Christ and his ministry to the souls of men, women, and children. Do you hear what he's saying? We've got to make sure that we aren't pressured by all the things of our world and our culture and have a loose grip on the things we're commissioned to bring into the world. And it's tempting to do it. Good grief, there are so many things that we could pop off and, and have some, some red-faced things to say that are happening around us. And we can speak to those. But as the church, you remember what it is that we hold to? The word, sacraments, and prayer. Those are our priority. And we don't get pulled off subject and pulled off track. We're about the person and the work of Jesus and making him known to those who are paralyzed around us. And then thirdly, the church is called to show mercy in the world. The church is called to draw all attention and glory to God. And thirdly, the church is to boldly call all people to repentance. And that's the heart of what Peter and John are doing here. One of my children told me recently that, Dad, you've got to shorten your texts. Your texts are too long when you're preaching. And so I very cleverly gave you 10 verses on the front end, but I'm about to work some more in here. You thought only you had 10 verses. Well, here comes the rest. Listen, you've got to hear Peter's sermon. And before I read this, let's remember who Peter is. Do you remember Peter who just weeks before was timid and cowering to the little teenage likely servant girl, denying that he even knew who Jesus was, scared of the consequences of what might happen to him because of what was happening to Jesus? Do you remember timid Peter? Remember what we heard in our pastoral prayer. The Spirit of God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but the Spirit of God who has come the one who would come at Pentecost and touch Peter brings boldness and conviction and power. So remember timid little Peter in your mind cowering to the teenage servant girl and now listen to him, his boldness. And you're going to see it throughout Acts. But what's gotten into Peter? It's the Holy Spirit. Now listen to his sermon. While that crippled man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this healing surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham... Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him, Jesus, over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, the man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name 
and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. What has gotten into Peter? How is he speaking so boldly, so clearly, with such courage? It's the Holy Spirit. Because now the apostles represent the ministry of Jesus from heaven on earth. And just as Jesus walked the earth, and from time to time, according to his will, he would heal. Now he's empowered these apostles to give them a season of validating who they are. Authenticating that they really do represent the risen Jesus. But for a time, in this apostolic period... They're speaking in tongues. They're performing signs, wonders, and miracles. And Peter is boldly preaching the gospel. Looking people in the face, eyeball-to-eyeball confidence, saying, repent. You put the author of life to death. You were unfaithful. Now repent that your sins may be wiped out blotted out and washed. There's something powerful that's gotten into Peter, and it is nothing less than the Holy Spirit. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, The preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. The preaching of Christ is the thunderbolt, the sound of which makes all hell shake. That's a robust view of preaching. That's a vision of preaching that Peter has modeled, where he boldly is telling people the truth. You put him to death. Your leaders will, were unfaithful, but you can return again to the Lord. Your sins can be wiped out. They can be washed. And so those people then, and these people now, have the same thing put before us. And that is, what do you do with that? Will you repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out? That times of refreshing might come from the Lord. That was true of the people then. It's true of God's people now. It's true for every one of us. You may be in a season right now of life where you need to repent again. You need to repent anew. You know, repentance is not that thing we did way back then in our life. 
Repentance is the sum of the Christian life. We're to always be coming to Christ, repenting of sin, turning from our heart of heart, our, our wrong behavior, our wrong thinking, our wrong doing, and coming and being refreshed before the living God. And just as this morning we saw the washing of water on one who, like you and like me, did nothing to earn it, but it was freely poured, freely offered. You see, that's the picture of the gospel that we believe. That's the picture of the gospel of the early church. We've done nothing to deserve such a washing. It's given by mercy to the glory of God that we might boldly go speak of it and tell the earth what we have found to be true. By faith, that can be true of you. By faith, that can be true of me. We're going to sing about such a bold faith in just a moment. And we're going to pray that such a bold faith might characterize you. If you feel that you have a timid spirit, if you feel that you're an easily defeated soul, if you feel that you're an introvert and therefore have a permission slip to keep your faith to yourself, this morning you're reminded that God and His Spirit did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of boldness, to declare the praises of the One who washes our sins away. That's the church according to Scripture. Let's pray that it would be true of us. Our Lord and our God, that is our prayer. And we are a timid bunch. We're an introverted bunch. We like to keep our things to ourselves. And yet Peter and John have just showed us that there's a bold confidence to speak of Christ, to declare His mercies, to offer those to the paralyzed among us who are outside of the beautiful gate. Lord, would you burden our hearts? <clears throat> if we've been brought in the gate called beautiful ourselves when we were paralyzed, would you give us a heart for those around us who remain in paralysis, the paralysis of righteousness? We thank you for the Lord Jesus and the righteousness he has given us, the legs he's given us. Not mere alms of charity, but legs. Lord, would you give us those spiritual legs that we might stand and walk and jump to the praise of your glory and grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.